1: from Perspectives of Hope in Jesus Christ, how does an author or co-author of 33 books, at least two of which have been bestsellers, remain at the cutting edge of media during a heated time in America's social and political battles? This is the story of Dr. Jerry Newcombe a Christian scholar whose devotion to history and communications with a love for America has spoke has spoken and given voice to many. We pause as we typically do at the beginning of our show to remind you the reason we have the Good Life program is to share how the love of Jesus Christ makes a difference in the lives of people. I'm talking about the love of Jesus so strong, so strong, that he died on the cross for your sins and mine. He was buried, yes, but he rose again on the third day, offering God's hope. And it's, it's our hope that you would turn to Christ if you have never done so. and if you, And if you already know the Lord, well, we believe you're going to be encouraged today, built up in your faith. Dr. Jerry Newcomb serves as the executive director of the Providence Forum and as senior producer and on-air host and a columnist for D. James Kennedy Ministries. Jerry has produced or co produced more than 81 hour television specials that have aired nationwide. He is the co author of bestsellers George Washington's Sacred Life with Dr. Peter Lilback and What If Jesus Had Never Been Born with Dr. Kennedy. He's an associate minister at New Presbyterian Church, Wilton Manors, Florida. He's married with two children and three grandchildren. He lives in South Florida. Jerry, welcome. Welcome to our show.
2: Thank you. Great to be with you.
1: Jerry, where did you grow up?
2: In the Chicago area.
1: What part? What part of Chicago?
2: Well, actually, the northern suburbs. And uh, later on, I worked for Dr. Kennedy, and I found out that he had grown up, actually, probably not too far from where where I had grown up. So, uh, In fact, he was in the northern part of Chicago, just one block away from Evanston. Evanston, Illinois is the first suburb of uh, north of Chicago, and that's uh, where I was born. I was born in Evanston, so I happened to be from the same place Dr. Kennedy was, ultimately. It was kind of interesting. I learned that much, much later, of course.
1: What was it like growing up there for you?
2: well actually um it it had its challenges um but it was overall uh very very pleasant and i grew up in a a church-based uh home and so forth and later on i when i was in college i ended up committing my life to christ and and then later got to work with dr kennedy and for him and even write some books with him and so forth so i've been very very pleased um I, i it's interesting Thanksgiving has always been a very special time for me. I remember even as a child uh, being at church on Thanksgiving Day itself and remembering, you know, what a special thing it uh, it is. And then I realized later on, wow, what a cool thing that here we have an annual holiday, an annual holiday that reminds us of uh, our Christian roots as a nation. I just think that's neat.
1: Who would you say you mentioned childhood who would you say influenced you most jerry in those early years
2: well in the early years uh i would say there were some teachers that were very kind and very gracious and i would also say that uh i had kind of different different types of childhood heroes uh i remember one of them was edison thomas edison i mean it's amazing how much he invented. And so, <laughs> it's really kind of cool. And pretty early on, I mean, I would say in, in high school, I really started to develop a love for classical music. And I, the more I learned about it and the more I uh, came to appreciate it, it really is amazing. And then later on, fast forwarding, if I could, my wife, who is from Norway, she uh, was praying before she came to the Chicago area to study in graduate school. This is uh, in the late 1970s. She was praying for a husband and she prayed first for a person who was a godly man, you know, loved Jesus, and then also that he liked classical music, was interested in history, and had at least some working knowledge of economics. And when we met in the registration line at Wheaton Graduate School, she found out within minutes that I love the Lord. <laughs> I had just graduated from, a, from a, a university, which is Tulane University, with a degree in, in history. And that my favorite composer was uh, Wolfgang Mozart, you know, it's, you know, she was like, oh, no, you know, oh, Lord, is this the one <laughs> she was <laughs> asking, kind of an interesting thing?
1: She was. Asking, and
2: by the way, we still like classical music
1: still. She was asking the right questions. And <laughs> Jerry, you had the right answers.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was just interesting. Yeah. You mentioned Wheaton. We, we thank God for those answered prayers.
1: You mentioned Wheaton, you mentioned Tulane. You talked earlier about college being a, a pivotal point. Take us on your spiritual journey. Give us a sense of what was what that was like growing up. Sounds like a Christian home, but your journey of faith, your decision to follow Christ.
2: Well, ironically, at the time in as a freshman in college, I had not dated very much and I was really hoping Uh, to to do that. And I remember at the time, I have to admit, I, I even went with some friends to bars and things like that to try and meet women. And it was always very, very disappointing. And a friend invited me to a Bible study. And I have to admit, when I went to it, I was impressed by the women that were there. I mean, you know, it was like, oh, this is interesting. And I didn't know much about the Bible. And I kept going back. And then I became interested in the subject itself. And as I actually started to read the Bible for myself, I was just shocked at how terrific this book is and how, you know, just everyday phrases that we all know about, they're they're all around us. And yet, you know, we don't even think about it. I mean, phrases like, do one to others, my brother's keeper, turn the other cheek, uh, the skin of the teeth, you know, all these different aspects of God's word are, are there and then later on, about two or three years later, I got to meet my wife to be, and that was in answer to her prayers. So um, I'm really grateful that that God was watching out for me. But but I came early on, you know, relatively young, to realize, you know, what a difference it makes that 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 God, in the fullness of time, sent His one and only Son, Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life to seek and to save that which was lost, laid down His life in order to save sinners uh, from the wrath of God. And uh, we deserve his wrath because of our sins, but Jesus took that wrath upon himself. And so, you know, ultimately we have the choice that uh, we can accept Jesus to be punished for our sins, or then if if we knowingly reject Jesus Christ, then, you know, when we die, we will be punished for our sins. Sins is it, it's that simple, but it's just such an amazing thing to to receive the gift, the free gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so I'm I'm so grateful that I encountered the Lord uh, through that intervarsity chapter, a uh, uh, intervarsity Christian Fellowship chapter at Tulane University.
1: You mentioned Doctor D. James Kennedy. I think about. Evangelism. When I think of him, I, I, we have just heard a clear presentation of the gospel by your sharing. When did God lead you to serve with Dr. Kennedy?
2: Well, I had been working in Christian radio for about four or five years. Uh, and when I learned about an opening at D. James Kennedy Ministries, which back then was called Coral Ridge Ministries, uh, they... They checked me out and then they decided to take a chance and they hired me. And I'm just so glad they did. That was in 1985. Uh, this morning, in a bike ride, uh, you know, before work, just uh, after some modest exercise, I was taking this bike ride and I passed the very hotel where the ministry put us up. My family, at that time, it was my wife and I and our two little children. In fact, the one, our son was literally two or three weeks old. And here we are 37 years later, by the grace of God. I'm still working at D. James Kennedy Ministries. I'm actually the longest lasting employee. It used to be called, again, Coral Ridge Ministries. And now uh, I've I've been here so long and I'm so grateful for it. Interesting, they they used to always call it CRM. And the radio station I used to work at was WCRM. For some reason, those initials follow me around, or I follow those initials around <laughs> in my professional life, and I'm, I'm just one happy man. It's I've amazing. been. It's been very interesting working with Coral Ridge Ministries uh, all these years. Interesting people I've gotten to interview uh, for TV and for radio, and and then I do a lot of writing for the ministry, and it's just very exciting.
1: It's amazing to see those those signs or those patterns as as we look back and and Jerry I'm really thankful that you are with us today because of the the deep deep well of experience knowledge the resource that you are the relationships that you have the the, the rich rich texture of your life so Thank you. When we come back, let's talk more about, well, I want to focus on a specific book you mentioned. Uh, I, I think we can't talk about Jerry Newcomb's life without talking about Dr. D. James Kennedy. Let's talk about one of your books, a best-selling book. You want to find out more about Jerry Newcomb, dear friend, go to JerryNewcom.com. Again, that's jerrynewcomb.com. We're going to talk about some deep things some foundational things regarding america and christianity stay with us we'll be right back wandering the road of desperate life beneath the bare...
0: jeremiah 33 3 says call to me and i will answer you and show you great and unsearchable things you do not know the good life with dr danny is a program that was born out of prayer The Spirit of Christ guides us through prayer, empowers us through prayer, and provides for us through prayer. There are mighty things that the Lord is doing in the Northeast, across the United States, and around the world. Would you like to be a part of God's work through the good life with Dr. Danny? Visit drdanny.live. Dr. Danny invites you to join his prayer team. Each month, you will receive a letter updating you on some of the -the behind-the-scenes developments, prayer requests, along with a devotional. That Dr. Danny writes to encourage you in the Lord Jesus Christ. Join the prayer team today and make an eternal difference in people's lives. Visit drdanny.live. That's drdanny.live. You're listening to The Good Life with Dr. Danny a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience the good life today.
1: George Washington's Sacred Fire with Dr. Peter Lilback, Jerry Newcomb and Dr. Peter Lilback. What if Jesus had never been born? Dr. Jerry Newcomb wrote that book with Dr. James D. James Kennedy. Jerry has written Doubting Thomas, The Life and Legacy of Thomas Jefferson with Mark Bilals. He's appeared on numerous talk shows as a guest, including Politically Incorrect with Bill Maher four times. Janet Parshall's America, Point of View with Kirby Anderson, the Moody Radio Network, TBN, the Fox News Channel, the Fox Business Channel, c spans 2s book notes, and so much more. He's with us today, Jerry Newcomb. You can find out more about him at jerrynewcomb.com. If you're tuning in right now, maybe caught the tail end of the last segment, Oh, well, my friend, go to drdanny.live. This podcast is available for you. Go ahead and share it with a family member or friend. Jerry, you've written 33 books, but among the first... What if Jesus had never been born? I ask. What movie inspired the title of that book?
2: Uh, not just the title, but the the content as well. But the movie would be "It's a Wonderful Life," that uh, Frank Capra made in 1946. Jimmy Stewart is the main star. Donna Reed. But in that movie, Jimmy Stewart is very discouraged. And he gets to see what life would be like had he never been born. And he realizes that uh, it, it, his life, even though he thought he was kind of a basically a loser, a failure, he had never gotten to get out of town. That's all he wanted to do. And then he realizes that because of all these kind things that he had done for all these miscellaneous people, his life really was substantial. It made a big difference. And then we thought, as we thought about that movie, and I, I found out Dr. Kennedy liked that movie too, and so uh, there was a message from Dr. Kennedy called "The Bible and Civilization," and I thought, isn't that interesting? What if we combine those two ideas—the the the impact, the social impact of Jesus Christ, the Bible, and uh, you know, the idea of the "It's a Wonderful Life"? That here's a a man who sees what life would be like had he never been born. Well, you know, the the George Bailey character in Bedford Falls, New York, you know, was very minor compared to human history. And you look at the fact of how Jesus Christ just changed so many aspects of our lives. I mean, for example, uh, hospitals were created during the Christian era by the christian church uh just basically expressing and showing the love of jesus christ in caring for the needy i'm not just saying hospitals you know one hospital here and one hospital there i'm saying the phenomenon of hospitals was created by the church of jesus christ education for the masses was created by jesus christ uh many of the great universities in fact the phenomenon of the university gets back to about 1200 a.d there were three main prototypes and in all three cases the university of uh, paris bologna and then later oxford in all three cases theology christian theology was was uh you know the part of the warp move it was it was at the very center of what they were doing and then of course later some of the greatest universities ever created were created by christians for christian purposes harvard yale Dartmouth uh, later on in England, Cambridge you know that is after Oxford and you know so anyway you just look at all these different ways in which the Christian Church has changed things it's just phenomenal. Some churches uh, soon will be having the Messiah performed you know uh, in their local church or portions of it by George Frederick Handel. this is a a work that's nothing but Scripture. In fact, if they hear the uh, you know the unabridged version, there's 73 verses from the Bible set to music by George Frederick Handel, and they all point to Jesus Christ. And by the way, 40 something of those verses are from the Old Testament, and 30 something from the New Testament. So that's just one example where Christianity impacted arts and the music, and it, we could just go on and on and on. In fact, the whole book just basically does it. it in effect, it's a, a a church history book, although instead of going century by century, it goes issue by issue.
1: Well, it's certainly poignant. It's a 1994 bestseller, but poignant for today, for the moment. I would be amiss, I think, if I go forward a little bit more, and I do want to spend a little more time on the book and drill down a little further on some of the things that you've mentioned. But your relationship with Dr. Kennedy, how did he influence your formation as a leader for Christ?
2: Well, um, one of the main uh, areas where I've written a lot, and, and we did some in, within the What of Jesus, is in the whole area of god and government the whole area of america's judeo christian roots as i understand it you're in the boston area you're in a, you're aren't you near cambridge cambridge by the way was named after uh cambridge university in england and at the time it was a godly school it was you know godly college i remember being there about ten years ago or fifteen years ago, while shooting something for Coral Ridge Ministries uh, television, and I remember seeing a lot of people drunk and a lot of the students were drunk, and it was around graduation time. And I thought, well, this is so different, you know, than than its earlier founding. But anyway, bottom line is that um, that uh, I learned so much about the Christian roots of America from D. James Kennedy, and it, it was kind of ironic because. I, my studies, at uh, you know, as an undergraduate, were in history, and including several classes on American history. And I, you know, I knew something about, you know, let's say the influence of the Puritans and so forth. But I learned far more through Dr. Kennedy. And the more I've studied this, the more I'm convinced that it is accurate to say that America has Judeo-Christian roots. In fact, the United States Supreme Court in 1892 had a decision called the Trinity decision. And they have within that, you know, basically page after page after page, demonstrating how this country has Christian origins. And they even say, quote unquote, this is a Christian nation. And that was a majority decision, the Trinity's decision. In fact, in one of my books, it's called The Book That Made America. I have an appendix based on that decision and I show Here's the evidence that they marshal forth to to come to that conclusion. Now, today, people think this is all controversial and so forth. But the reality is, just look at the actual original documents, which that decision did, by the way. You look at the, the different founding documents, and you realize, oh, my goodness, the Christian faith played a major pivotal role in the early settling era of America, starting with Jamestown, 1607, going all the way through the time of the founding fathers, including the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution.
1: Now, Jerry, I want to broaden things a bit. I know when we talk about America and American history, that's, that's really your, your lane. But if we can broaden it, because of what you and Dr. Kennedy wrote in What If Jesus Had Never Been Born, how did Christianity change the way children, women, and the elderly are treated?
2: Oh, very significantly. Uh, first of all, in the Roman Empire, and of course Christianity was born during that time, there was the common practice of familias where the father would decide if a baby was born, whether they would keep the, the baby or not. In other words, whether they would allow this baby to live. If they chose not to let the baby live, they would bring the babies over to abandoned walls, uh, or you know that kind of place, but there were these common places where babies were just basically dumped, and uh, this was legal. And a lot of times, what would happen is the Christians would go around to these abandonment walls and they would pick up these babies and rear them in the Christian faith, you know, and give them a chance to live. And it, it, it reminds me of even today, where who's on the forefront of the pro-life movement? It's the Christians. Who are you know standing up against abortion? And by the way, the more we know about the humanity of the unborn, the more we see how unjust abortion is. But I, I digress. Let me let me go back to the Roman Empire. Uh, back then, half of the population were slaves, and they had the practice, as we all know, about the gladiator contests and so forth. A lot of times in movies. Uh, Hollywood tends to glamorize that. There was nothing glamorous about that at all. These were slaves who were conscripted, they were forced, perhaps against their will, but they had to fight unto the death against other slaves who were uh, also gladiators. And this was just for the amusement of the crowds. This was their version of uh, you know, a television or, or movies and so forth, but it was unto death. If you have a movie made today, you might see at the very end of the movie even if it's a violent movie it might say you know nobody was hurt in the making of this movie no animal was even hurt in the making of this movie i'll tell you that's judeo-christian sensibilities you know that we've been we've been drilled in with these ideas that that we have value as human beings now people are, don't live up to this and in fact i think as we move away from christianity as a culture we see the desensitizing uh, and the dehumanizing of the value of human life, but Christianity absolutely elevated human life. I mean, just think about that, Danny. Killing people for sports for the entertainment of the crowds. I mean, that's just so barbaric. <laughs> and by the way, I see these commercials sometimes when I'm at the gym, and they have all these different channels, uh, uh, you know, with different monitors and so forth. And there's some sports channel, and they show this fighting, this M M L or I don't know what it's called, but anyway. And I always look away because it just seems so barbaric. But at least I think there's referees involved in that. And the the goal is not to allow anybody to be killed, although I guess it happens, on, you know, from time to time. In fact, I remember that chapter we opened up the line with this way. Does boxing strike you as cruel? You know, well, what about killing human beings, you know, for sport? That's what they used to do before there was any kind of Christian influence. As far as women, women were absolutely uh, elevated in their status as human beings, as well they should be, through the, the influence of Christianity. In fact, it's interesting that Jesus not only allowed some women to be a part of, uh, you know, of his movement, he even allowed uh, some of them, including Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons, to be among those who actually financially supported his work we can see that in Luke chapter 8 that his work was financed by some wealthy women he allowed women including Mary Magdalene to be among the very first to see him risen from the dead wow what a, a, a you know a beautiful honor that was and in societies where christian influence has felt is felt womanhood is honored and let me give an example of the opposite of that in in india Prior to any kind of Christian influence, which happened about 200 years ago when the British uh, took over India, there was the common practice that if a husband died, his widow was expected to voluntarily jump on his funeral pyre as he was being his corpse is being burned to death. She was supposed to jump on there and join him in death. That was their form of social security. As uh, Christian Indian scholar. Vishal Mangalwadi put it. But uh, a lot of times, the the way this would work is, first of all, if she didn't do it voluntarily, then it was done involuntarily unto her. Secondly, a lot of times these women would be widows who were maybe even in their teens, they had married some older man, you know, because that's the way the customs were, and this older man dies, and now her, not only is her life, you know, in terms of her provision from her husband or whatever is gone, her life itself is gone it was the christians who stopped that and the british at first didn't want to stop that but the missionaries uh in particular uh william carey agitated over and over and over to stop this practice of sati which meant obedient woman sati that where you know widow burning so yes. you know virtually every indian woman you see i mean when i say indian i mean calcutta indian uh, owes their lives to to Jesus Christ because uh, of his influence. And that's just, you know, one powerful example. Jerry, but, uh, yes, when we come back, amazing. let's take yes. this
1: a little further. I do want to talk about the elderly and how Christianity sure. changed the way the elderly are treated. But when we come back from our break, let's do that. And also how Christianity influenced science. I know you talked about health and medicine, hospitals. But what about science? You're listening to Dr. Jerry Newcomb. You can find out more about him at jerrynewcomb.com. He hosts a weekly radio program called Vocal Point on Grace Net Radio, gracenetradio.com, which is a meeting of the minds. More from Jerry Newcomb when we come back. Stay with us. Wandering the road of desperate life. James 3.13 says... Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. The Good Life with Dr. Danny is brought to you by generous sponsors. Thank you to Coach Dino Babers and Mrs. Susan Babers, Mr. Edmund Jung and Mrs. Mae Jung, Mr. Rodney Arias Sr., A1A Electrician, Cedar Assembly of God, and the Thursday Men's Breakfast, Boston. If you, your business, or your church would like to support The Good Life with Dr. Danny, please visit drdanny.live. Join our partnership team. That's drdanny.live. Thank you.
0: You're listening to the Good Life with Dr. Danny, a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute, divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience the good life today.
1: You can find out more. You can listen to. You can see Dr. Jerry Newcomb. You can see his media ministry in its full bloom. The broadcasts are also available posted at JerryNewcomb.com. His latest books are American Amnesia, Norschkog Publishing 2018, and A New Birth of Freedom, uh, D. James Kennedy Ministries 2019. You're listening to The Good Life Program. Thanks for being with us today. Sharing in this moment with us with Dr. Jerry Newcomb. You can find out more about the program at drdanny.live. Jerry, continue on. How did Christianity change the way? You talked about women, children, but what about the elderly?
2: Well, in the same thing, the elderly in, in times past where there was no uh, Christian influence, that basically they were often left to die. In some cases they were, for example, the Eskimos would, would um, essentially send them away on ice floes uh, to, to basically freeze to death and so forth. But Christianity took the idea that God revealed to the Jews, that human beings are made in the image of God and therefore we intrinsically have value because of that and that gave value to people at all you know sides you know all spectrums of, you know of human existence so whether we're unborn living or even old
1: Jerry how does that relate to the cultural mandate in Genesis
2: well the cultural mandate really, is what the What If Jesus book is all about. It's all about how Christians in times past and even sometimes in times present live out the cultural mandate and how that has blessed the world as they just basically... Uh, here, Here's my favorite definition of the cultural mandate, and it comes from my former boss, Dr. Frank Wright, uh, who was president of D. James Kennedy Ministries for a while, and he said this, the cultural mandate is applying the mind of Christ, to the great issues of the day. <laughs> I love that line. That, that, that's a great line, uh, you know, explaining what the cultural mandate is. It's, and uh, so basically, as Christians lived out their lives just being faithful to God, where he had put them in their particular sphere, it made a huge difference. So you take the example of Johann Sebastian Bach. Johann Sebastian Bach. There was music in the Western world before Bach, And the music after Bach uh, totally changed because of the way he changed scales. and I don't even fully understand all that, but it's basically pre-Bach and post-Bach. And then, anyway, Bach dedicated every note he wrote to the glory of Jesus Christ. Much of his greatest works are church church works. And um, at the top of every sheet of music he had, he put in capital letters S, d g and then he circled it that stood for soli deo gloria and he was a devout christian who uh, you know loved the lord and was very prolific in his music and his music is heard even to this day a lot and it's wonderful
1: soli deo gloria to god alone be the glory glory. jerry how has christianity influenced science
2: Well, this is a surprising one, Dr. Danny, because a lot of people don't seem to, you know, make any connection between Christianity and science. In fact, they view science as if it's somehow antithetical uh, to religion or that science has somehow disproved Christianity, which is not true. But it was Christianity that gave birth to modern science, particularly near the end of the Middle Ages and the beginning of the time around the Reformation and so forth, where Basically, you had Christian uh, scientists, scientists who were Christians who were thinking God's thoughts after them, uh, to use a phrase from Johannes Kepler, a great uh, Christian uh, astronomer. In fact, uh, Kepler said, "We as scientists are priests, high priests of the most high God. They felt that a rational God had made a rational universe, and his laws, would apply always. In other words, um, if water boils at 100 degrees um, centigrade today, it will boil at 100 degrees centigrade tomorrow. If it's true here in America, that's true also in Norway at this present time, you know, that kind of thing. So in other words, they, they felt that God had made these laws universal. They didn't have an irrational worldview. Dr. Kennedy even points out, not only was science born in a Christian view, it was born. It couldn't even be born in today's milieu because today's milieu is this overall existentialist view that that's unfortunately uh, seeped and dominating, you know, throughout the West in our, much of our thinking, and the idea that truth is supposedly relative as opposed to absolute. And it was those ideas that truth is is absolute, not relative, that uh, in which we saw science created. The oldest, long, longest lasting, still in operation, scientific study for inquiry is called the Royal Society for London. I once did some shooting there in uh, uh, for a program for Coral Ridge Ministries. In fact, it was based on this. It was, what if Jesus had never been born? And uh, that society was born in a Christian college. It's still going on in operation. It was started, as I recall, 1662 born at a Puritan college, Gresham College in London, and um, many of the early scientists that ran the, that organization were Christians, and not until really the, the time of Darwin was there any kind of feeling in terms of, oh, maybe there's some conflict here between science and religion. And there's a lot of aspects about Darwinism that are disproved to this very day. The missing links are still missing. The best piece of evidence that they ever had turned out to have been a deliberate fraud, Piltdown man. And um, so anyway, I I think it's it's very significant that so much of what we owe to science, uh, we ultimately get back to owing that to Jesus Christ and his church. And, and a lot of these scientists uh, like Isaac Newton, who were devoted Christians, Michael Faraday, uh, Isaac Newton, by the way, wrote more about science than he did I'm sorry, he wrote more about the Bible than he did about science. And uh, so I think it's significant that we get back to that understanding that, you know, science was a gift from Christianity to the world.
1: Well, you talk about that at large in your book, What If Jesus Had Never Been Born. Someone today might ask, wait, everything is so Christocentric here, Christianity-centric Are you saying that education didn't exist before christianity are you saying that uh, only the the religious only the christian faith has influenced art and music and so on how would you respond to that jerry
2: yeah uh, okay first of all let's let's deal with education education of course existed uh long before jesus was born the key is that education for the masses did not so in other words, even the idea of what eventually became public schools, that's where I'm saying Christianity is to be credited, especially after the Reformation. The, the reformers felt that for the Bible to um, to, you know, get out there and be distributed, people had to be able to read the Bible. For example, in America, the oldest law that we have related to education and schools is called the Old Deluder Satan Act. It was passed in Boston, and the 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 preface to that law says, "It being one of the chief ends of that old deluder Satan to keep men from the Word of God, we want the children to learn to be able to read the Bible for themselves." I'm I'm paraphrasing, of course, at this point, and therefore schools are going to be established. And once a town has, uh, you know, X number of people, I believe it was fifty. Citizens, then schools will be established in that you know particular school, and they or in that particular region and city or town, and they will fit this mode, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But bottom line, it was to read the Bible for themselves that caused that to happen. As far as art and music, all I'm saying there is that that Christ and Christianity and the Bible became some of the, the the most important subjects of some of the most beautiful art and music that's ever been created, and literature, too. And uh, to this day, literature, uh, as an example, reflects uh, so much of the influence of Christianity on our world. For example, at the Museum of the Bible, uh, which is in Washington, D.C. I don't know if you've gotten to see that, Dr. Danny, but if you go to D.C., make sure you spend some time there. And I remember they have this one floor where they show the influence of the bible it's really very similar to what we're talking about it came out about you know 10 15 years after our books uh came out both what if jesus had never been born and what if the bible had never been written and i'm not saying there's any influence there i'm saying that bottom line is this impact exists and there's this one part where you can walk down and they show you all these different book titles from all kinds of different writers and you can see the influence of the bible left and right you know whether it's um Uh, you know, East of Eden by John Steinbeck, or Evil Under the Sun by Agatha Christie, or um, Absalom, Absalom, or whatever the exact title is by William Faulkner. And the bottom line is, you know, the, the Bible is the most influential book because of Jesus, you know, bar none. I mean, there's just nothing like it. And yes, when it comes to music and arts and you just look at even examples like the cathedrals; um, they're just so beautiful. And maybe they don't preach Christ today. Some of them don't, but but the fact is, they were created by Christians for Christian purposes to glorify Jesus Christ. And a lot of those cathedrals, by the way, made in the Middle Ages, are are astounding, made without the benefit of of the modern machinery that we have and and so forth. It's just it, it boggles the mind. And so, yes, art and music have been very much influenced by Jesus Christ. The death of Jesus Christ, the crucifixion, is the most uh, commonly portrayed death in art, uh, you know, of any human being. And, of course, that's because that death was so precious, it it served such an important purpose, as we discussed earlier in this program. Well, and the gospel. God is... made him. Yeah, God made him. That is, God the Father made Jesus the Son— God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of Christ. That's why the crucifixion of Christ is is depicted in art more than any other death of any other person ever.
1: And those who were not able to read were able to look at the pictures, look at the art yes. and receive the gospel people could describe, explain, explain. The meaning of the message. You're listening to Dr. Jerry Newcomb. Again, you can find out more about him at jerrynucom.com. When we come back in our final segment, we're gonna change lanes, but we're still we're still on the same highway. We're gonna talk about the Providence Forum. Dr. Jerry Newcomb is the executive director of the Providence Forum. We'll talk about the mission and a little bit more personal, maybe some challenges that the Lord has helped him overcome and an encouraging word for someone today who might be feeling a bit stuck. Stay with us we'll be right back. The road of life. E- Hi this is Danny Yamashiro. Evangelism can be likened to an exquisite pearl necklace in order for the necklace to be complete, each pearl is carefully strung on one at a time. Only after the last pearl is strung will the clasp be attached. Most people are convinced that the apex of evangelism is in being that figurative clasp, leading someone to trust Christ. In reality, there would be no need for a clasp without any pearls being strung. Which is more important, the pearls or the clasp. They all are. Not everyone can be a clasp all the time, but in evangelism, you can always be a precious pearl.
0: Hear me Hear me You're listening to The Good Life with Dr. Danny. A program of danny yamashiro ministries and formation institute divisions of jesus christ is calling you now let's join dr danny and experience the good life today dr
1: jerry newcomb graduated with honors from tulane university his major was in history he also graduated from wheaton graduate school in communications also with honors and he earned his Doctor of Ministry degree from Knox Theological Seminary. I did mention before the break, uh, how about somebody today who's feeling that they've they've hit some bumps along the road of life and um, may not know how to find their way through the struggles that you might be going through in this moment. Well, Dr. Jerry Newcomb joins us today to speak heart to heart. As we go into that, I do want to Give him some time to at least talk a bit about the Providence Forum. What's the mission there? And then how has the Lord helped him through difficult times? Jerry, talk to us about the Providence Forum. What, what's it about? What's going on now? And then let's, let's go a bit further.
2: Sure. Providence Forum is an, uh, an organization that was founded by Dr. Peter Loback. Perhaps the best known thing that Providence Forum ever did was to publish the book that he and I wrote about 15 years ago about the faith of George Washington. And by God's grace, it became a bestseller, even though it's it's twelve hundred pages and about five hundred pages of the twelve hundred pages are uh, documentation, which is really amazing. But anyway, bottom line is, uh, I mean, I'm amazed that it's uh, it became a bestseller and I'm grateful for that. (laughs) But uh, Providence Forum, uh, as I say, founded by Dr. Lilbeck, he felt a few years ago because of his responsibilities at Westminster Theological Seminary as its president, that it would be better if he could give it away to somebody where they could still keep it going. The mission of Providence Forum is basically to educate people about America's Judeo-Christian roots. So we gave it to d james kennedy ministries and and the ministry agreed to receive it but only if they had somebody on staff that would you know head it up and and i i was the by god's grace the logical choice for that because of my love and and knowledge hopefully of uh, <laughs> of american uh christian history and so forth so i um, i was i've been very delighted to do that and one of the first projects i've been involved in with the Providence Forum is we've been making a series of films, hour-long documentaries, and uh, when it's all finished, it will be seven total, plus a lot of bonus material as well in the DVDs. And these seven films are, uh, as I say, an hour-long documentaries, and they're basically, they deal with the Judeo-Christian roots of America. The first one, the one that really was the the motivation for it all, uh, focuses on the Pilgrims. When I looked at the 400th anniversary of Plymouth, which was coming up, you know, we experienced it in 2020, but a few years before it happened, I felt like, where is the the film explaining the, you know, the Pilgrim story, you know, as a story, beginning, middle, and end, I didn't see it. And so I ended up making it. and And some of the guests in that program include uh peter Loback, well let me say that some of the guests in the whole series include peter Loback, uh dennis prager eric metaxas dr Oz guinness bill federer jenna ellis daniel Driesback uh you know so see there's did i mention Oz guinness these are some of the main guests that are in the whole series marshall foster and basically uh the different segments tell different important stories, but the pilgrims themselves, just the story of those men and women that founded Plymouth in 1620, a, a, just a small group of separatists uh, of, of no great power in this world and in this life at the time of you know their living, and yet of great influence for good in our world. They just wanted to worship Jesus Christ and the purity of the gospel. They were blown off course. And because they were blown off course, they, uh, they had some people that they had hired who were sympathetic to the cause in creating this Christian-based Bible commonwealth, if you would, this colony in the New World. But now that they were blown off course and they were no longer under any government's jurisdiction, some of those men might have struck off on their own, and that would have been disastrous to the pilgrims. So before they set one foot on American soil, they wrote up an agreement for self-government under God. It's called the Mayflower Compact. That particular document was a forerunner to the Declaration of Independence and a forerunner to the U.S. Constitution. It was revolutionary in world history. The mayflower compact in the name of god amen we whose names are underwritten having undertaken a voyage for the glory of god and the advancement of the christian faith that 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 do covenant and combine ourselves into a civil body politic here was an agreement for self-government by these people under god in which they basically made this this agreement to bind each other a written constitution it was the first step towards creating the u.s constitution and creating a uniquely free and christian america one of and, the things uh, one it's of the so things so cool this is so important 1620 may uh I mean, it was uh, november 11 1620 the mayflower compact
1: one of the things jerry when you talk about the Mayf- mayflower compact you talk about the pilgrims they came into the storms of life. They were leaving storms, and they came into the storms of life just to to, to hold together. When you talk about Harvard being uh, Christian training ministers to be really the glue of society, yeah. Yeah. what what trials people face, but trials people face even today. A quick word, a personal word, to the degree that you feel comfortable. How has the Lord helped you through difficult times?
2: Well, I can just say that uh, he has answered prayers for us. Uh, For example, I've been married now by the grace of God for 42 years and so, you know, grateful for that. And yet I can remember a time early in my marriage where I, I, I sinned in a way that I didn't realize and later learned about it, especially in the book of Proverbs, where it says, do not repeat a matter. There was something that that she had done that I uh, was uh, upset about, and I reminded her of it. But the problem was, I kept reminding her of it. (laughs) The Bible says we should forgive and be forgiven. And uh, once I started to apply that, you know, forgiving and being forgiven, you know, we were able to work through all our, our our things and we have a wonderful marriage and we're so grateful for that. Two wonderful children, three wonderful grandchildren and a wonderful son-in-law and Lord willing, someday a beautiful daughter-in-law yet to come, uh, you know, the, when our son finally, you know, settles down and so forth. But I, that, that to me is a very important thing because building a Christian home that you know a strong, secure home in Christ is, is the bedrock of so many blessings that we've experienced. And God has provided for us financially. I can remember times when we just didn't know how we could make it financially. It, things were so difficult. And Dr. Kennedy kept saying, you know, you, you need to tithe. I mean, it would not to me personally, but he would say this to the congregation, we always need to tithe. Jesus promised if we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, all the things we need shall be added unto us. And I I would add, not only does he add all the things we need, but a lot of times he adds things that we want. He even says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. So I have found that uh, the more I base my life on the word of God, how blessed it is how blessed my life is and you know i don't want to sound pollyannish but but it's really true and i want to add to it that living a life of gratitude and since we've got thanksgiving around the corner the, the pilgrims had so many setbacks and yet through it all they gave thanks in all circumstances again to quote dr kennedy he once said that that gratitude is like the christian's magic wand when you're thankful to god even in all circumstances it changes you and so i'm i'm just so grateful to walk in That's christ word. and and to know the purpose that he has in fact i tell yeah. you what dr danny every day in the night and in the morning so in the morning and in the night every day i go through in my mind as i wake up and as before i go to bed 30 different scriptural truths some of which i've just shared just in the last couple of minutes here but this list is These biblical truths that are just so beautiful. You know, if if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, how will he not also, along with him, freely give us all things? For me to live in this Christ, to die is gain. There's so much we have in Christ, and it's just a beautiful thing. To even know our purpose in life, the Lord will fulfill his purpose in me. By Jerry, his grace, I will fulfill my God-given destiny.
1: Let's spend a, a moment. I want to ask you to pray as we close our show today. Pray for our listeners, sure. please, in view of this. Yes.
2: yes. Uh, dear God, we just want to lift up to you anybody listening that uh, is in need of, of getting their heart right with you. And we just ask, Lord, that they would, uh, first of all, if they don't know you, that they would bow their knee and come to realize Christ and him crucified writhing in agony on the cross on behalf of the punishment for their sins, and we pray that they would accept Jesus and his sacrifice. But those who are already in Christ and uh, are uh, experiencing difficulties, Lord, we just pray that you would give them extra measure of grace, that whatever need they have, you would meet that need. Help them, Lord, to center their lives on your holy word, and and seek your people uh, in church and worship you on a regular basis and have regular meaningful fellowship to find a Bible study they can uh, participate in and and feed on your holy word. Thank you, Lord. You've not left us as orphans in this world. Those who call on you and who are saved, we have your Holy Spirit within. What an amazing promise that is. And that's just the first of many, many promises that are found in your word we thank you for that and as far as america is concerned oh god send a great awakening we deserve your wrath we pray for your mercy please god let america repent and come back to jesus
1: amen jerry thank you thank you for these uh encouraging words
2: thank you dr danny for the opportunity and happy thanksgiving to you and uh, providenceforum.org if that's okay for me to say.
1: Yes, to you as well. Words of thanksgiving and hope from Dr. Jerry Newcomb, jerrynewcomb.com. God's timing, my friend, is perfect and there's no better time than right now to share the love of Christ with someone near you as Dr. Newcomb did. If you haven't done so, this may be the perfect moment for you to open your heart to Jesus. Go to drdanny.live for more resources. To join our prayer team or partner with us financially, again, DrDanny.Live, and I thank you in advance. Psalm 130, verse 1, Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. It's always a blessing to be with you. Thank you to Dr. Jerry Newcomb, jerrynewcomb.com. Until next time, along with my producer, David Nasora, creative director, Brian Torres, web designer, Ninth Avenue Studio, social media director, Luke Yamashiro, and guest coordinator, Jan Yi. I'm Danny Yamashiro. Remember, the Lord is with you as you share the love of Jesus with someone today.
0: Thank you for listening to today's broadcast